Hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you for listening to the Wesley Memorial Church podcast. This is Pastor Clark here. Just want to say thank you for tuning in and listening. We're beginning an exciting new Advent sermon series called Advent Between Two Worlds. And you're going to hear a sermon that we did just this past Sunday on that and how we can look at Christ's birth and Christ's future coming. And in between those two stories, how we find ourselves in this glorious story of God during this Advent season. We also invite any of you to join us for worship, either online or in person at 8.30 and 11 traditional in our sanctuary or 9.45 in contemporary in our dining hall. You can go to our website, wesleymemorial.org to learn more. Thanks again for listening. God bless each of you. And we hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Ever lived have been to shout him out, greatest. Jesus, that's a good Sunday school answer, yes, yes. We'll get there. Paul, yeah, okay. Gandhi? Alexander the Great? Mother Teresa? Wow, it's a good list. There's a 1996 book called The Ranking of the Most Influential People in History. Five out of the top ten are religious figures. Jesus, of course. Confucius, Muhammad, Paul is listed. Buddha, also listed are Gutenberg, we thank him for the printing press, it's important, Albert Einstein, Isaac Newton, but do you know a name of someone that is left off the list, not even in the top 100, not even the top 500, let's say it all at the same time, one, two, three, Michael Jordan, no I'm kidding, it's not Michael Jordan, <laughs> no sorry Michael, according to Jesus, the greatest person born of women was John the Baptist, the greatest. Hear these words from Matthew 11. Jesus spoke to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind, meaning someone weak. Did you go go out to see someone dressed in soft robes, someone rich or fancy? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal palaces. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, And more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you that you'll prepare your way before you. He's quoting Isaiah. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John, not even, uh, yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So what an astounding claim. Jesus is saying that John the Baptist is the greatest who's been born of women, greater than Gutenberg, greater than Buddha, Uh, greater than Paul, all these people's listed, he is a prophet, and yet he is more than a prophet. Many times, we attempt to normalize people in the Bible, and I think that's true because they're human beings. We want to say, and I've certainly done this in messages, say, well, you know, know, Elijah, Moses, Abraham, Moses had a stutter, so I've always sort of connected with him. You know, you definitely humanize them because they're human beings. But, But John... John is a bit set apart here. John is a totally different look and personality than people we've seen in the heroes of the faith. He's not just sort of a professional religious person, or a PRP, as I just made up to you. You know, because many times if there's a professional religious person, you know, that's, that's me, for example. If we have a gathering before we eat a meal, so you'll look to the pastor and say, well, would you, would you pray for us, right? And then you, you know, there's this sort of thing. But John, that's not John. John doesn't abide by the rules. 
John is out to completely follow God wholeheartedly. He's not, he's not interested in obeying the laws of, of Rome, and obviously he's in prison or public opinion, but he's completely hell-bent, really, on obeying the word of God. And he has been sent to clear the way, it says. And there's really two things here about John that are really interesting. That one, John came from spirit-filled parents. We see this in the book of Luke. Uh, John's mother, Elizabeth, his wife, his father, Zechariah, were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Luke, it says, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Again in Luke, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied over his son, John. And John leapt in his mother's womb when, when little uh, baby John was in the womb and Jesus was in the womb. It's an incredible account. And there's many times it says that he is filled with the Spirit, that John is filled with the Spirit. And secondly, John was, was filled with the Holy Spirit. In Luke 1, the angel Gabriel says literally, John will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And then it would say the hand of the Lord was with him. The Spirit of God was with him over the course of his life. John the Baptist was not the greatest who ever lived born of women because of morality and good behavior, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we look at John, the point is not to do what John did, but to be transformed and filled with and empowered with the same Holy Spirit that filled John and made him great. Now, the Holy Spirit will make you moral, but that's a byproduct and not the main thing. The goal of the Holy Spirit is not just to make you better, but to make you new. So why are we talking about John the Baptist, the greatest born of women that ever lived at Advent? I thought we were talking about baby Jesus. Why are we talking about a guy wearing animal skin and eating locusts and wild honey and living out in the wilderness? Well, it's sort of like, if you ever read a book, the end of the book first, and then you kind of backtrack, like last week we read, we, we heard uh, the story of Jesus' second coming. And then this week, we're getting a little bit further back and we're looking at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry where John the Baptist proclaims, here he comes, here comes the Son of God. And then of course on Christmas Eve, we'll get to the story of Jesus' birth. It's sort of like, you, you, you knew the ending of the story, but as you read into the ending, it gives the story even more depth and, and color as you get near the ending, even though you already know the ending that was to come. So Mark, Mark's gospel, he starts his gospel not with the story of Jesus' birth, not with anything about Jesus' early life, not with anything about his boyhood or anything like that. It's, he starts right with John the Baptist. Mark, the first gospel written, the earliest account we have that we really believe the apostle Peter heavily influenced and gave Mark a lot of the information that you read in Mark. So here's Mark chapter 1, and we're going to see that John, he clears the way. John is the bridge, and John clears the unseen. Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. 
John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem, it's a lot of people, were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sin. Now John was clothed with camel hair and a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locust and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandal. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So for our sermon series is Advent Between Two Worlds. And last week we looked at kind of the between the two worlds of Jesus' birth and his second coming. This between the two worlds, why are we talking about John the Baptist? On one hand, it looks like John is, is the bridge between the two worlds of the Old Testament and the New Testament. John is sort of like a throwback to Elijah and the Old Testament prophets. He, he resembles them in many ways, but Jesus says he is more, he is a prophet, but he's more than that. He's, he's a harbinger, if you will. He's truly a holy man, a new Elijah that has come. And John is that link between the old covenant of the law and the new covenant that's under the blood of Christ. John was a sign that not maybe that maybe people didn't want, but John was a sign that people needed. It's a sign that we need today too. John was foretold in the prophecy of Isaiah that you just heard. The book of Isaiah was written some 1,600 years before John's birth. And John fulfilled it. He's preaching and he baptized away in the desert was a sign of the coming of the Lord, that John would clear the way. He would clear the unseen. Before the arrival of a king in ancient times, dispatches would go and they would, they, would, they would make preparations, right? Even today you see that with heads of state and presidents. Their, their scout team goes ahead of them, right? And, and prepares a way, makes preparation, makes it safe perhaps, and announces the arrival of this important person. And that's sort of what John is doing here. He's clearing the way. He's fulfilling these words of Isaiah, that we already heard, a voice cries out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground will become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. We might not want to be reminded that we're here today and we're gone tomorrow. But John does that with his pronouncements of repentance. For every heart to make room of what is coming, who is coming. And he clears the unseen. Because I've read this passage so many times in my life. How is John making a valley? How is John lowering a mountain? How is John raising up a valley? Does he have a bush hog? Does he have some sort of you know, equipment here? Does he have a tractor? How is he clearing the unseen? How does a baptism of repentance of sin clear the way? 
Clearly, it's a metaphor. It's a spiritual clearing, preparation. That's why it's here in this, this passage in our Christian calendar. It's about preparation. The ground of our hearts is being tended to and prepared for his coming. As sin is confessed, it levels things out. I mean, think about relationships you have had in your life that were strained or they were really hurting and, and felt very uneven, but thankfully that relationship got made right somehow. Maybe you, you apologized or they apologized to you or you confessed something to that person and, and then it felt more even, right? It felt like it had been made right. That new life, new breath had come into it and you were at peace again in that relationship. That's what confession does. That's what repentance does. Like Peter said in the book of Acts, if you repent of your sin, then times of refreshing may come. And when John says, I'm proclaiming in the wilderness, make way for the Lord, repent of your sin and be baptized. He's saying, we're gonna level the playing field. If you're rich or you're poor, or you're black or you're white, whatever, it doesn't matter. You're all equal in the eyes of God and we all must repent of our sins so that times of refreshing may come. Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Proverbs 28.13, Whoever conceals their sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. In the summer of 2002, how old was I? I was 23. And I was a camp director at a camp called Camp Patton Springs out in Franklin, North Carolina. It was an old Methodist camp. I think now, unfortunately, it's bulldozed. But it was an old camp. It only got used one time a year, which was by the ministry I was working with. And so when I got there, uh, all of these silverware was wrapped in saran wrap. All the dishes were put away. Everything was boarded up. And I, we had to open up this camp. And it was a mission camp for youth groups to come in and do work around on homes and communities around us. And so the, the camp was falling in disrepair. One week, I, can't, I come back to the camp. There's 65 people staying there. And I walk into the storage room where we kept our bread and all this food. And the water heater was in there. And as I walk in, I walk into ankle-deep water. And the water heater is old and it's leaking everywhere. And I say to myself, well, this is a disaster. Now the toilets won't flush. We have a huge uh, biohazard on our hands. And so I frantically open up a Yellow Pages. That was a thing back then. That was a thing you do to look things up. And I start flipping through. And I start calling plumbers. Thankfully, some guy came out within a few hours uh, and with a water heater. And I great. He started soldering things. And I'm not a plumber. I, trust me, I'm not a plumber. He started doing all these things. And I kid you not, over his shoulder, he turns back to me and he says, you know, I haven't done this very much. As he's putting together the thing and I'm having a panic attack. But we eventually got it fixed and we eventually got the water heater working. But there was something that happened at the end of that week that made the whole stressful time totally worth it. At the end of that camp week, uh, kids could get up and share about their week. They could share about whatever God had done in their lives. And this kid got up named Jonathan and Jonathan was kind of awkward, not the cool kid, kind of on the outside. 
But Jonathan got up and he shared and he looked at all these kids and he said, you know what, if we were in school right now, none of us would be friends. We wouldn't hang out with each other. We wouldn't talk to each other. But because we're here at this camp, and he said the most profound thing from a 16-year-old. He said, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Raise up the valley. Lower the high places. Make straight the pathway of our God. No more inequity. No one's better or worse than anyone else. We're all sinners that fall short of the glory of God. We're all in need of that mercy that God pours out. We're all equal in that regard. We're all on the ground at the foot of the cross that's level. That's what John is saying. This ground that's level that he's proclaiming in the wilderness. Why is he proclaiming in the wilderness? Is this a field of dreams moment? If you build it, they will come? Well, they did come. Hundreds, hundreds of people came out in the middle of nowhere to be baptized. Now, you know that if God, if God is at work, if hundreds of people come out to a river to get baptized, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And people deep down are drawn toward freedom because we know, whether we're religious people or not, we know we need emancipation. We know we need to be set free. And the only way to receive that is to repent of our sin is to confess it to God and to see that we're all in need of the grace of God. We all need emancipation. Just as John prepared the way for Christ 2,000 years ago, we prepare our own hearts for Christ on this day as we go toward this Christmas season. But you can't do it in a physical sense. You can't just say, I'm going to clean up my life. I'm going to quit smoking. I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit cussing. It's not what God is concerned about. I remember when, uh, many times with my children, when they have bad manners at the table, uh, we'll say to them, now what would the Queen of England think right now about what you're doing? What would the Queen think? If the Queen was here, would you do that? No, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't put your elbows on the table or drink too loudly. But when you prepare for the king of a spiritual kingdom, you can't do all this physical cleaning. It doesn't matter. Because that's not where his kingdom is. If you're going to clean out your own house for the king of a spiritual kingdom, you have to clear the unseen. You have to clear what the spiritual world to prepare for his coming. And the way we do that is confession, repentance. And repentance is a gift of God. Many times the word repent, we don't like that word, but repent is a good word. Because it means that you're unlocking something new in your life. It's a time that refreshing may come. It's a time where that relationship can be equalized again. And you're made right again with the person that you have wronged against. It's not a bad word. It's a, it's a good, good thing. But we have to clear our, our spiritual house, if you will. To prepare the way. To take a knee. Just as the wise men did. Or just as those who were baptized in the Jordan back then, just as they did. To come, as we prepare to come face to face with holiness, we who are not holy, all we can do is fall on our knees. You know, in the, in the New Testament, or throughout the Bible, when people come in contact with angels or holy things, like the prophet Isaiah, he just falls on his face. Like, he's like, I can't even look. I can't, I'm, a, I'm a man of unclean lips. Like, I can't even look at you. Because you're so holy. 
I can hardly breathe because your heaviness, the Hebrew word for God's presence in Hebrew, it means heaviness. That God's heaviness is so powerful and profound and holy and perfect. When our flesh comes in contact with that, we have to repent. I'm a man of unclean lips. Or Peter in the boat with Jesus when they caught this miraculous catch of fish. And Peter looks at Jesus and goes, I can't. Depart from me. I'm just a sinful man, Jesus. Prepare the way. John is the greatest who ever lived, according to Jesus, who ever lived born of a woman. And John said, I am not worthy to untie this man's sandals. If John has that attitude and perspective, so should we. Even more so. And so, that's why I, I love how this text completely coincides with communion on a communion Sunday. It's the perfect text of preparation, of confession, of repentance, 